Welcome back, everybody. This is the Grace Life Fellowship Podcast. Last week, we shared with you the first part of a series Pastor Tim is doing called Practical Grace. That one was called The Rest of Grace. Go check it out in episode 17. Today, we're gonna share the second half and conclusion of that series, and it's called The Test of Grace. Okay, here's Pastor Tim. I want to just remind us that last week we started this two-part series, Practical Grace, and we said that grace is practical, and we talked about the rest of grace, and it had kind of a double meaning. Uh, The rest of grace is the idea that we have a new identity, a new heart, and a new commandment, that there's more to grace than just being a doctrine. There's more to grace than just words on a page or theologies or ideas or constructs and belief systems. Grace is actually the person of Jesus Christ, a living dynamic. That when we think about grace, we think about the grace of God that has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And he teaches us, he instructs us to deny ungodliness and to live righteously and soberly in this present age. Grace is Jesus. And and when we know this, and when we know that we're rightly related to him, we can rest. And we've gotten the rest of the story, in a sense. Today, you know, when we talk about the test of grace, it's a different thought. I'll get there. There we go. The test of grace. I hear people ask all the time, okay, Tim, I get it. I'm a new creation. I'm a saint, not a sinner. I'm righteous and holy. I have a new heart, one that is consistent with God's, one that has desires that are equal to God's. They're coming from God. They are what he desires for me, and I desire the same thing. We said last week, if we can realize that we have a heart of obedience, that the, that the new creation never really needs to be told they should obey, they really ought to be reminded they want to obey. A far different idea. And then we have uh, this new commandment, a new way that God deals with us, not in telling us what we should do, but telling us who we are and want to do. So that every command of the New Testament is really a reminder, a description of who we are as believers. Well, I get all that. I hear it all the time. But what about in the crucible of life? What about when the iron is hot and the moment of temptation happens? What do I do in this test of grace? How do I apply the rest of grace in order to see that I am totally up to the demand of what I'm being tested with? Many of us understand what we're teaching here on a Sunday morning. We believe it. It's changed our lives in terms of how we think about God and how we think about ourselves. But we have to be honest, we still struggle. Does this really work at the moment of crisis? Can this really matter that I'm a new creation, that God lives in me? Does it really matter when I'm being tempted and all my emotions and all my feelings are being lured into some trap to ensnare me into some lie that the enemy is presenting to me? 
How do we overcome the addictions and the patterns of our choices that lead to such destruction in our lives when, when, when we should know better? Does it really matter that I believe in grace? I hear it all the time. And you know that we get tempted every day. And sometimes in that temptation, it can, it can deceive us into thinking nothing's really different. As a saint, I'm being tempted just like I was as when I was a sinner. As someone with a new heart, it feels just like it used to feel when I wasn't brand new in Christ, when I'm being tempted. When I'm being tempted, I'm, I'm oftentimes taken back to this idea that God's telling me what I should and shouldn't do at this moment, but I've got no power to do it just like when I was lost. And all of these wonderful truths of the rest of grace can be lost at the test of grace. Temptation is this idea that there's this impulse, this urge, this, this attraction to something to believe or do something other than what is right, other than what is wise, to do something sinful. And we are tested with this, we are tempted by this all the time. Sometimes in the moment of temptation, we believe these lies that uh, I go not just from being a saint, I, I, I can believe something that I'm not even good enough. Have you ever believed that when you're being tempted? If I was a better Christian than this, this wouldn't be a temptation for me. Have you ever thought like that? If God was really present at this moment, why is this happening? Why am I being sucked into this seemingly black hole of desire? And I, I, and I know it's wrong and I don't wanna do it, but it seems almost pointless and I feel helpless in the moment. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever said to yourself at the moment that I cannot help this? These are the lies that happen at the test of grace that cause us to forget the rest of grace. This is what happens when we're put in that, that crucible at the moment of impact. This is what the human being's dilemma is. Am I going to succumb to this or am I able to overcome it? You put it in your own context because we as a, as a body of Christ, we face various temptations. They are unique to you sometimes in terms of their context. They are not unique to you in terms of the, the temptation. What do I mean by that? Look around you. You're not alone. We all face temptations. They are not God's way of telling you you're not good enough. They are not God's way of telling you you can't handle it. They are not God's way of telling you he's absent and distant until you overcome it and then he'll draw near to you. The temptation is for us to understand that whatever God has done in telling us the rest of grace, that we are a new creation, that he indwells us, that we have a new heart, and he operates with us from this dynamic of love rather than law. When we are tempted, this is God's opportunity to remind us over and against the situation, the circumstance, the feelings, this is his way to remind us that he is enough. 
You are tempted not because you're not good enough. You are tempted not because you can't handle it. You are tempted not because God is disgusted with you until you overcome this temptation and then he'll draw near to you. You are tempted because there's an adversary out there. He's a liar and a deceiver. He's a tempter and he's real sneaky when he does it. The Bible says he is an accuser of the brethren. He accuses you at the moment of temptation. Oh, see, if you were good, you wouldn't want this. If God loved you, this wouldn't be happening. If you were really what God says you are, if you were really all that stuff that you hear taught, if that was all really true, you wouldn't be feeling this. He's an accuser of the brethren. He disguises himself as an angel of light. Meaning when he accuses you, it can actually sound like it's coming from God. He's going to take the voice of God and abuse it and accuse you with it in your mind and make you think things, these things are coming from God when they're really not. You should be better. That sounds like it's coming from God, but it's not. You shouldn't be in this situation. That sounds like it's coming from God, but it's not. He's an accuser of the brethren that disguises himself as an angel of light, and by this he tempts us. We're tempted every day in various ways, in various contexts, but every temptation has at its core the very lie that God is not enough for you. Every lie that God is not enough for you or that you are not enough in him. If we can bring online at that very moment, no matter what its context, the rest of grace, we will see not only how we overcome temptation, we will see a victory. We will see a victory in all temptation. Father, this morning, may it be so that we believe you. And looking at just a couple of passages and looking at a couple of examples, may we see that it does matter to believe who we are in you and who you are in us. That at the very moment of temptation, at the very opportunity of a choice to make, we not only believe the truth, we live and act on the truth. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. The first thing we need to know is no temptation comes from God. James 1 says that let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So the first understanding is that God would never tempt you. Do you believe that? God will never have as an opportunity for you a temptation. It's not coming from him. He himself cannot be tempted by evil and he won't tempt you with evil. So God is not the cause of temptation. God is not the source of temptation. Now we know that it says God cannot be tempted by evil, but we also know that Jesus was what? He was tempted by evil. Many people scratch their heads and go, how can this be? 
I thought Jesus was God. Well, Jesus is God, always in essence, but in living on this planet 2,000 years ago, he decided not to live as God's, in God, the, ex, the expression of him. He decided to live in dependence upon God. He was going to be dependent upon his father, not acting like his father, but dependent upon his father. So that Jesus said, anything you see me say or do, it came from the Father first. He humbled himself. He became obedient all the way to the point of death on a cross. So Jesus as man could be tempted. But Jesus as God could never be tempted. That's why he put aside his Godness in essence and essentiality in order to live like you and I have to live. Dependent upon God so that he could understand the temptations that we face. God is never tempting you. But we now also know that in Hebrews 11, it says that by faith, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. That word tested is the very same word as what the Bible translates tempted. Now, who tested Isaac? I mean, who tested Abraham? God did. Do you see the dilemma now? The very same Greek word, parazo, is used to tra be translated test or tempt. But James 1 says, God will never tempt you, but Hebrews 11 says he tested Abraham. But it's the same word. What does that tell us? It tells us that every moment of choice is an opportunity in the hands of the enemy to bring you down and tempt you to fail is the same opportunity for God to be used in such a way as to test and show you approved. That every temptation that you face is a perspective that the enemy's trying to lure you into something sinful, believe something that God doesn't say, disbelieve what God does say, but that very same opportunity God is using to remind you of who he is, who you are, and what he has said about you. Every temptation calls into question what God has said. Every testing can be a reminder of what God has done. God approves of you. He will never tempt you, but he will test you. Not as a teacher tests a student. Not to see if you know, can repeat information back. When God tests you, it's always to show you approved. It's always to show that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Have you ever considered that at the moment where you're being tempted and lured and dragged into sin seemingly, where it feels like you can't help it, it feels like you have no power against it, it feels like everything is working against you and God is gone, have you ever considered that at that very moment is the same opportunity through what God has done to
to believe him and say, regardless of how I feel, regardless of how strong this urging and impulse and feeling is, I am a new creation. Christ lives in me. I have a new desire that is not the truth about what I'm feeling now. I have a desire not to fail here. I want to be reminded that I am approved of and shine forth. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. This is possible in a potential because of the power of God every moment of every temptation. We have to change in our minds that this is not just a temptation, this is a test. This is an opportunity for God to show who he is, what he has done, and who he has made me to be. This is what Joseph understood when he was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he ends up being second in charge in all of Egypt. And when he sees his brothers again, do you remember his words to them? Now when they need Joseph to help feed them, to save them, but they're scared to death he's gonna kill them and repay them for the evil they had done to him. Do you remember what he says? You meant this for evil, but what? God meant it for good. I gotta believe that Joseph was tempted to do just what his brothers thought he would do, to kill him. They had rejected him. They had sold him into slavery. I got to believe that he was feeling tempted to do all the evil that his brothers thought would come. But his perspective at the moment of that temptation was what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Do you know this, is, this can be realized by us at every moment of choice? 1 Corinthians says this, no temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. Do you hear what that says? You're not alone. You know, so, some of what happens, the lies we believe at the moment of temptation is nobody else ever has to deal with this. Have you ever felt like that? I'm the only one. I'm unique in all of creation that this would happen to me. That's how bad I am. That's how distant from God I am. That's how much I miss it compared to others. Oh, I see people sitting in church and they're happy and joyful and they're praising God and they're raising their hands during worship and they're understanding all these wonderful truths of the new covenant and they're never struggling and they always get it, but, but not me. I'm standing up here not because I get it all the time, not because I have it any differently than you. I'm just one of us and I have the same temptations, the same things, but I can believe the same lies at the moment that it's happening that nobody else I know has to deal with this. You haven't ever faced anything that isn't common to, to people. And God is faithful. I highlight that because I want us to be reminded this is what we need to remember. God is faithful at this very moment where the enemy is accusing you, where the enemy is disguising himself and making you think God is distant, where all of that is happening at that moment, regardless of how you feel, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Consider that for a second. It says that God won't allow you to be tempted, which tells me God allows temptation, but he doesn't cause it. Because if there's anything God's causing, we have to change the context and go, he's testing us. He's showing us approved of. He's showing that he's greater than what's happening. 
He's showing that we are able. Do you see it in the verse? He will never, he will never let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. That tells me that every time that we fail at the moment of temptation, we didn't have to. We didn't have to. There's no condemnation in that statement. It's compassion and it's hope. If you've ever faced temptation and thought, I'll never get over this. If you've ever looked at somebody you love and thought, they're in this addictive pattern, they'll never get over it. If we believe the truth of what Jesus has done and who he is in us, we can believe that we have what it takes at that moment. He says, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. I wonder if we really believe that. See, when we say things like, I just couldn't help it, we didn't believe there was a way of escape. Please hear this. The way of escape at the moment of temptation is not going to be how you feel. The way of escape is all that we learn about the rest of grace. The way of escape is who God is and who he is in you. He's given you what it takes. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He has been gifted to us. He's given us a new identity, a new heart. He operates with us in the dynamic of love and not law. This is our way out of temptation. For at the moment of temptation, what is truly happening is you are being offered something to try to make your life seemingly better, which is a lie that God can't do it or hasn't already done it. At the moment of testing, at the moment of temptation, we need to be reminded that Jesus is the way. We need to be reminded that this temptation isn't just against you, for you are never alone again. This temptation is against Christ in you. This temptation is to call into question who you are, what God has done. Have you really been changed? Do you really have what it takes? That's what's happening at that moment. And it's strong and it's intense and it's got all this deception in it because Satan is a father of lies. We saw exactly what happened to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and ate. Do you realize what Adam and Eve failed to know was that there was a way of escape. For what we have in Christ, they had a relationship with God. They were in a garden. They were given a command. They were warned beforehand what not to do. They were not ill-equipped. They had everything that God wanted them to have in order to face that temptation and be able to see victory in it. But their focus was what, what they saw. See, we live in a sight and sound world, and it's easy to get distracted and duped by what's happening around us. That's why over and over in the scriptures, it says, set your mind on earthly things, not on heavenly things. Set your eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus, not on your circumstances. It says, think of these things that are eternal. It says, do not be duped by what you are seeing around you. It's temporary. Set your eyes on the eternal. 
Adam and Eve didn't do that. At this very moment, when she saw that it was a tree that was good for food, she could have remembered that God said, of all these trees you can freely eat, I'll just go to this other one. I think sometimes we've re-engineered that story to make it that God made it hard. God made it really easy. There was one forbidden tree and it was in the middle of the garden. They should have gotten full before they got there. And God told them what to look for. There's gonna be a a tree, Don't, don't eat from it. He told them what to do in no uncertain terms. That's what love does. With full conviction, I'm gonna tell you so that you won't have to guess when it's happening. God loved them. He is their way out. But they went with what they saw. They went with the deception of what they believed. This could make me wise as if being made in the image of God and being called very good wasn't good enough. And they fell. That's what the first Adam did. But the last Adam gave us a hope. And more than a hope, he showed us a victory. You know the temptation of Jesus that's mentioned in Matthew 4 and in Luke 4. And I'm only going to take one passage out of it. But three times Jesus is being tempted by the enemy. And, And I want you to just compare and contrast their two contexts. Adam and Eve were tempted in a garden paradise. Jesus is going to be tempted in a wilderness. Adam and Eve were tempted and they could freely eat from any tree but one. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. Adam and Eve were tempted before there had been some universal fall of mankind. They had never had a reputation or an experience to say, well, everybody else does this. Jesus is being tempted after millions of sins, after the fall. And everybody around him was giving in to this. Makes me wonder if that's part of the enemy's tactic. Maybe he believed, you know, I've been duping man for years. I can dupe this man too. But Jesus did something converse than Adam and Eve. He did something directly opposite of Adam and Eve against what he was feeling because the Bible says Jesus was tempted. That tells me that whatever that urge or that impulse is that you feel at the moment of being lured and tempted and dragged into deception, Jesus felt it. I think sometimes we think he didn't feel it as strong as we do. Oh, he's Jesus. His circumstance was harder than ours. He had more to lose if he gave in. He would lose us. But he answered and said at this moment, it is written. I love it. He's going to quote what God wrote. And God only wrote what he speaks. He's going to quote from his father. And he says, this is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you see that's exactly what Adam and Eve failed to do? They believed what was happening rather than God. Jesus, against what is happening, is going to believe God. Jesus is our hope. Jesus, it says in Hebrews 5, learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Jesus, the son of God. I believe this is the context it's talking about. 
This is a suffering. This temptation was pulling at him. We know in the garden he was tempted to not even go to the cross. And he said, God, if you've got another way, I'll take it. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, the perfect son of God, was learning obedience. Oh, it doesn't mean he ever failed in obedience, but he was still growing in it. That gives us a hope. It lets us know that he understands you. He gets you. He can relate to your temptation. You may say, well, Jesus was never tempted to do this or that. It's not about the context. It's about the content. Every temptation is common to man. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. God is the Father, the Creator. One thing He'd be lacking in is sympathy towards your weakness, not in design, but in experience. He could say, Oh, I care. Of course He does. But He proved it by becoming incarnate and experiencing the very thing you have to experience and I have to experience at the moment when temptation is happening. He didn't want to be distant from our experience. He had every right to be. He'd be justified in never doing that. Man had caused all this. The enemy had caused all this. God could have been above all that. Instead, he entered into all of that to say to you and to me, I understand you and I get you and I know what it feels like and I know it feels like you can't help it and I know it feels like that God is distant and I know it feels like that you've got to give into this and I know it feels like this is always the case and I know it feels like you're the only one in this predicament. I know how that feels. It's not true. He was tempted in all things as we are. Huh. He was tempted in all ways that you are. You have not been tempted in all ways that he was. See, we get this. You think about Jesus' temptation. This is the, the physical created being. Lucifer having become Satan is tempting Jesus. Now, every temptation has its source in the enemy, but I don't think the enemy physically is tempting each one of us. The, the, these were the, the first Adam's explanation of how he handled temptation against the last Adam's victory over temptation. These were cataclysmic in their effect. When Adam fell, the whole world was plunged into sin. But when Jesus overcame and then finished the work at the cross, the whole world that will believe in him overcomes. This is drama to the nth degree. This is beyond our comprehension. He's tempted in every way that we are, but we've never been tempted like that. If you fail at a temptation, the whole world is not gonna hang in the balance of it. Do you understand he had more to lose? Then I need to understand how this happens in my daily life. For I don't think I've ever faced a temptation where everybody's future will depend upon it. No, I, I face a temptation, and you put it in your own context. 
Mine is laundry. <laughs> Mine is this everyday mundane stuff where I'm in a relationship with people and there's stuff that needs to get done. Oh, I'm not being tempted to be, to be cast off some temple mount and have the angels you know, minister to me. No, it's not like that. But the temptation of what it's drawing out and the testing of what God wants to show forth, they're the same. Catherine and I have a different way of doing laundry. Yes, I do laundry. I'm a good husband and a free one, if I can admit that. And this is Catherine's payback for the birthday. But I'm gonna share with you how we do laundry. And I asked her if she wanted equal time to come share her story or share her point to this. Um, but, but what I wanna tell you is we have a different idea of how laundry gets done because we're wired differently. I don't know if you know this, but God brought a man and a woman together not to be the same, but to become one. And sometimes in the becoming one, we try to force the other to be the same. And it's not good. I have tried it and it doesn't work. So when we do laundry, I have a very principled approach. Laundry gets done by me when I put laundry from the hamper into the, lawn, into the washer start the washer, let it wash. When it's done, I move it from the washer to the dryer. I start the dryer, dry them, and when it's done, I pull them out of the dryer, I fold the clothes, and then I put them away, and the laundry is done. Catherine's idea of doing the laundry is getting it from the hamper into the washing machine, once in a while starting it, Having started it, a good approach, once in a while, removing them and putting them in the dryer. Once they have finally gotten to the dryer, typically they can sit there a day or two and get all wrinkled. And you can imagine that in the temptation of this context, what I was being lured into. And there were many times and I, when I say this, I'm not saying this, that, that this is perfectly experienced now, but it's better now, that I would fight a person for the principle. There is no way you can justify the two different ways of doing laundry and say that mine's not better. <laughs> or say that more than that, mine's not even right. There was no way for anybody to convince me that my way was wrong that my way was better, because it was. <laughs> but because God put me in relationship and God called me to this ultimate charge of love to reveal and describe what's in me, can I tell you how many times I forfeited this relationship with this person for the principle of laundry? And in so doing, I was wrong no matter how justified I was with the principle. And I needed to learn and am still needing to learn that at that moment, I know this sounds funny against the backdrop of Adam and Eve and Jesus' temptation, but I was being tempted to believe that I was better than her, which would mean I didn't believe what God has done in either one of us. Until we are willing to see that these Big temptations enter into everyday circumstances. 
and we are willing to believe that the rest of grace, that we are a new creation, that we are a child of God, that we, that we have a new heart. And my heart was what Ephesians 5 says, love her like Christ loves the church. I, I thought that I could love her better if she would do it right. Have you ever been there? I, I was mistaken. I was wrong. I had the idea that, that when we are debating over this principle, somebody's right and somebody's wrong and I needed to sacrifice the principle and love the person. P please hear what I'm saying here. The issue was never laundry. If it was, then Catherine would always have to do it my way in order to be approved by me. She'd be totally under my law. This is our struggle that I, I'll approve of you in this relationship, no matter what the context is. For you, it may not be a spouse, it could be a kid, it could be a coworker, it could be whatever, a neighbor, whatever the relationship is. That we give to others what God has given to us. The love and grace that lets us uphold a person over a principle. I'd love to say that all of this has completely changed. I, look, if you're going to ask me, I still believe my way of doing it's better. I do. When Catherine and I have discussed this, you know what, you know what really happened? She would say, Tim, do you know that I, every time I do laundry, I think about it. it I, I used to think Catherine didn't care what I said. That's why, that's why it does. That's why she does it this way. It was, it was a comment about me. She didn't respect me or honor me. She didn't care what I, meaning she didn't love me. That's how I was interpreting that. Is that not ridiculous? That was the temptation. I'm trying to get Catherine's love by the laundry result. But she's trying, she's, she's also waiting for me to love her apart from the laundry. All these conflicts are smoke screens. At the end of the day, you know what I really believe? I believe God was trying to teach me how to iron. <laughs> A different perspective. He says in Romans 8, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And in the Greek, that overwhelmingly conquer, you know what it literally means? It means you are a super conqueror. That's how the Greek should be translated. We think when we come to temptation, we just hope to survive it. God says you are a super conqueror because of the super conqueror that is in you. This does not mean that you will walk out of here and never fail again against temptation. Oh, I hope we don't. I believe it's potentially true that we don't have to. And I believe that God in you is greater than this temptation happening to you. But if you fail, and if I fail, will you please be reminded that Paul ends this whole section after saying you are a super conqueror. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
Father, you are who you say you are. This rest of grace is applied during the test of grace. And Father, we see in our everyday lives how we are being tempted. Tempted not to love. Tempted to fight for what we think is right rather than people. We are tempted, Father, in ways to draw us distant from you in our experience, maybe even in our beliefs. The enemy is out there accusing us, lying to us, deceiving us, but he is a defeated foe. He's a liar, but that's his only power. And if we will simply believe you, the truth, this enemy is defamed. He cannot grip us anymore. Father, we thank you for the truth that sets us free, that we might apply this at the moment of every temptation and be reminded that that very temptation, allowed by you and in your hands, is your way of showing that we are approved of, that our daddy loves us, that our daddy lives in us, and that our daddy is enough. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay, that does it for Practical Grace. We'll be back again this Friday with another edition of Conversations in Grace with Jesse and Tim. And then this coming Sunday here at Grace Life, we'll have a special guest speaker, Dr. Andrew Farley. It's going to be really great. You don't want to miss that. We'll share that here on the podcast next Tuesday. Okay, we'll see you Friday.